Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. The, birth, the book of 1 Kings and chapter number 1. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 1. We've been traveling through the life and ministry of David and finally have reached this final concluding message. We have traveled with David from the time that God had called him as a young shepherd boy and told him he was going to be king. We watched him as he was on the run from King Saul and we also noticed that he didn't lift a single finger to become king that God is the one that put that all into place. And when he first started to be king everything was going well. He would seek the Lord and depend upon him. But then came one tragedy, one single night in sin. It wasn't even a long-lasting affair. It wasn't something that was going on and on. It was one night in sin. And what we see through the book of 2 Samuel is the theme of consequences. That from that one night in sin blew up to be so many consequences within the life and ministry of David. From that one night of sin with Bathsheba, that led to a cover-up. When the cover-up didn't work, David resorted to murder, and he killed Uriah the Hittite. For nine months, David Li lived with his sin. For nine months he tried to put on a good face and tried to hide the fact that he was so far away from God until finally the baby was born and God sent his preacher to put his finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man. And he had a confrontation with Nathan the prophet. This led to the prompting of David getting right with God, which his prayer is recorded in Psalm 51. That was David's prayer of getting right with God and coming back to him. And we're encouraged that there is a way back to God. However, David's life was spared, but there was lasting a fourfold judgment. That because of the death of Uriah and because of the cover-up and everything that went with this, that God had pronounced a fourfold judgment upon the house of David. That David himself would be spared, but the sword would not leave his house. And so there is going to be four deaths within sight of David's family because of one night in sin. And we put the emphasis where God places the emphasis that sin will cost you a lot more than you ever wanted to pay. It'll take you a lot further than you ever wanted to go. That one decision of, of disobeying God, one decision to jump into sin can lead into lasting consequences that would affect not only you, but others within your family. The first death within the family was the death of the child with David and Bathsheba. That child perished. Uh, shortly after Nathan the prophet spoke to David. After that came the death of Ammon. If you could remember that Ammon raped his sister Tamar. And what a horrible thing that scarred her for life. And as a retaliation, Absalom killed his brother. 
Well, David refused to discipline his child, refused to do anything with Ammon. He refused to do anything with Absalom. And eventually, Absalom put a rebellion. And then the third death within David's family, the death of Absalom. Then we come now to what we're hitting today, the fourth death, the last remaining piece that needs to be put in this puzzle of consequences, the death of Adonijah, one of David's children. And so if you don't mind, look with me inside of the book of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings chapter number 1, and let's read the rest of this story. The book of 1 Kings chapter 1, and notice with me in verse number 1. Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he get no heat. Wherefore his servant said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord the king a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, that my lord the king might, may get heat. So they sought for a fair damsel throughout the coast of Israel, and found Abishag, a Shumamite, and brought her to the king. And the damsel was very fair, and cherished the king, and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done so? And he was also was a very goodly man. And his mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zerah, with Abathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah, helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Rei, and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zealoth, which is by in Rogel, and called all of his brethren the king's sons, and all the men of Judah the king's servants. But Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah, and the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he called not. Wherefore Nathan spoke unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hast thou not heard that Adonijah the son of Haggith doth reign, and David our Lord knoweth it not? Now therefore come, let me, <laughs> I pray thee, give thee counsel that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of thy son Solomon. Go and get thee into <laughs> the king David and say unto him, Dis, <coughs> Dis not thou, my lord, O king, swear unto thy handmaiden, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. Why then does Adonijah reign? Behold, while thou yet talkest there with the king, I also will come in after thee and confirm thy words. And Bathsheba went into the king into the chamber, and the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumamite ministered unto the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance unto the king, and the king said, What wouldest thou? And she said unto him, My lord, thou swearest by the Lord thy God unto thy handmaiden, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah reign, 
And now, my lord, the king, thou knowest it not. He hath slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance. And he hath called all the sons of the king, and Abathar the priest, and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon thy servant hath he not called. And thou, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldest tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it shall come to pass when the Lord thy king shall sleep with his fathers that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. And lo, while she yet talked with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. And they told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, Hast thou said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne? For he has gone down this day, and has slain oxen and fat cattle, and sheep in abundance. And he hath called all the king's sons, and the captain of the host, and Abathar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him, and say, God save King Adonijah. But me... Even me, thy servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaniah the son of Jehodiah, and thy servant Solomon, hath he not called. Is this thing done by my lord the king, that thou hast not showed it unto thy servant, who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? The king David answered and said, Call me Bathsheba. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king sware and say, As the Lord liveth, that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Even so will I certainly do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth, and did reverence to the king, and said, Let my lord King David live forever. And the king David said, Call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. And the king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon him mine own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel and blow ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Then shall ye come up after him that he may come and sit upon my throne and he shall be king in my stead and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaniah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen, the Lord God of my Lord the king say so too. As the Lord hath been with my Lord the king, even so be he with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pethethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him. And the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent with the sound of them. And in Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they had made an end of eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, 
Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? And while he yet spake, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said unto him, Come in, for thou art a valiant man, and bring us good tidings. Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Verily, our lord King David had made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophets, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites, and the Pelethites. And they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. And Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, have anointed him king in Gihon. And they are come up from thence rejoicing, so that the king rang again. And this is the noise that ye have heard." And also Solomon sitteth on the throne of the kingdom. Moreover, the king's servant came to bless our Lord King David, saying, God made the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed. And also thus said the king, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which hath one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon for lo, he hath caught hold of the horns of the altar saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, if he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not be a hair of him to fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, go to thine house. And with the Lord's help, if you would like to mark something inside of the Word of God, look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter number 1, and we see at verse 51 the name of Adonijah, but the phrase that I want you to associate with Adonijah is in verse number 52. If he will show himself a worthy man. And with the Lord's help, we want to do a quick character study from this passage about Adonijah, with the question here, will he find himself a worthy man? Will he show himself a worthy man? And if you don't mind, let's take some time and let's talk to God now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we go through this study here, I'm asking that we can look in ourselves about having a good day and having a worthy life, having a life that is pleasing to you, having a life that is without wickedness. I'm asking that you would guard us and protect us, give us wisdom, help it as we go through this story that we could get a good idea of the Bible history, but also at the same time apply the principle that we could learn from this life here. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now remember, as we do character studies, and as we've done them from time to time, that we are reminded that every life teaches a message. Every life teaches a message. We know that there are great characters in the Bible that you could associate a phrase with them. You could almost see it on their gravestone. This is what described of them. You could take uh, Joshua, and as he said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. You could think of Esther, which could have on her epitaph for a time such as this. And so with every person in the Bible and every person who lives, every's life 
teaches a message. There are people with bad lives and their life teaches a message. And so as we study Adonijah, we could see this question, this challenge that was set to him by Solomon with this idea that if he will show himself a worthy man. If he will show himself a worthy man. If you don't mind, let's go back and let's understand what is going on. The very first thing we want to show you in this, and we're going to kind of walk through this story quickly, is we want to see and be introduced to Abishag, David's nurse. Abishag, David's nurse. David is at this time 70 to 80 years old. Now, if you remember that this is a time where people do not live that long. The average age of people is about 50 to 60 years old. To so to have someone in his 70s nearing 80 is already an older man. You couple that with the life that David lived. David did not live in beds of ease. He was on the run for most of his life. He was a fighting man for much of his life. He fought giants. He, he fought wars. Went against Philistines. This was a man whose life was beat up because of wars and because of battles. And as you've seen anyone who's had a hard life, you could see towards the end of their life the aches and pains, the sores, the scars. And this is a man that's reaching to the end of his time. And he doesn't have much strength left. Also at the time of... of as people getting elder, for some reason, they like the heat on. They just can't get warm. Have you ever been to someone who's about 90 and you step in their house and their house is about the same age as they are? That temperature's in there and you take a couple of minutes and you want to go to sleep and just ready to rock? Well, David's now at a time where he's reaching the end. He's more or less bedridden, more by choice than by body, but he's hurting, he's sore, and he can't get warm. Now, back in those days, they didn't have a nice thing of called a heater. And so you had to come up with different ways. And having a trash barrel fire in someone's room is probably not the best way to do things. And so the way they did things back in those days is <laughs> they found a young lady who would be his nurse. In this case, it would be Abishag. She's going to be important later, so make sure you understand who she is. She is not married. She's never been with a man. And she was hired to be a nurse. And now there was nothing sexual about this relationship, but her job was to pretty much snuggle with David to keep the body heat together, to keep him warm. It was just a practical, reusable energy, basically. And it was her job to nurse David, to care for David, to make sure that he got everything that he needed, that he had water that was there. Basically, she's a 24-hour care nurse whose job is basically to take care of David to make sure that everything is provided and to give him comfort during this time. Again, there was nothing sexual about it. It was just a practicality of using body heat to keep him warm in his older age. Now, it was at this time that we're now introduced to Adonijah. Now, Adonijah has been pretty quiet all throughout all of 2 Samuel. We understand that Adonijah was the fourth born of David. He was born in when David still had his capital in Hebron before the uh, all of Israel was united. It was born in that time of civil war that David had. And Adonijah was son number four. Now normally the way that thrones were passed is they were passed to the firstborn. The problem was is that the firstborn was Absalom. 
And Absalom's no longer available. He is gone. After Absalom, the second oldest brother was Amnon. Well, that doesn't work. Amnon is no longer there. The next son had died. A third brother had died in, uh, as a child. And so he was no longer living. And so the next one up should have been Adonijah. He was the fourth oldest. He's the, currently the oldest son of David who was there. But the problem is, is that the throne was promised by God through David that Solomon would be the one to take the throne. And so it was common knowledge. Everyone understood this. But as, David's watch, or as Adonijah's watching David in his frail body, he comes up with a plan. His plan is that if he could go ahead and anoint himself king while David is still alive, then the people will accept his succession with the idea that David approved this. And so he began to get the players in mind. Now, if you don't mind, I want just to hit a couple different things. Notice, if you don't mind, to verse number 5. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time, saying, Why hast thou done so? Now, <coughs> as we see this, this is actually covering David's life and Adonijah's life. That Adonijah was a good child, which is not hard in David's family if you compare him up to Abnon, he's a good child. If you compare him after Absalom, he's a good child. But the problem was is that David never disciplined any of his children. And so he never said, Adonijah, you shouldn't do that. Adonijah never disciplined any of his kids. So now that Adonijah has kind of gone through life and is the quote-unquote good child, he now gets in mind that, hey, you know what? Dad likes me. I never put a rebellion. I never killed my brothers and sisters. I'm good. Why wouldn't he accept me on the throne? You know, I understand that everybody else said that Solomon's supposed to be king. But, you know, now's the time to make my move. Now's the time. And so what he did is he began to gather people together. Notice this. He began to gather the heavy hitters. Notice, if you don't mind, as we look upon these heavy hitters, Look with me in verse number 7. And he, this is Adonijah, conferred with Joab. So we come to the first heavy hitter. And if you're going to get a heavy hitter, you go for the first one. This is Joab. This is Gen David's longtime general. This is the one who has the army behind him. Hey, if you get the general and you have all the troops behind you, you're already home. And so he talked to Joab and said, Joab, hey, I'm thinking about, what do you think about me being king? Job said, I think I could support something like that. You know, Joab has known <coughs> little um, Adonijah since he was a small boy. He's watched him grow up. He's invested in him. He's watched his life. And he says, yeah. Hey, you're not opposed with me still being general. I know I'm old, but I don't want to give up my job. And we've already seen what happens when people get in the way of Joab's job. Joab was a murderer in his own right. We could see the scores of blood that he left behind him. And so when Adonijah says, hey, you with me and I'm with you, Joab says, let's do this. Then notice as he goes on, he gets another heavy hitter. And he confers with Joab, the son of Zorah, and with Abathar, 
the priest. Now, this is a big deal because this is the co-high priest. Now, this is a strange time in Israel's history that they have two high priests at the same time. You have Abathar and you have Zadok. Now, Abathar was there when Doeg, um, the Idiomite, had killed all the priests in the city of Nob. And so this was someone who saw massacres. He's someone who helped David. He supported David during the time of Saul. He supported David during the time of Absalom's rebellion. And now Abathar is now being pulled to Adonijah. Hey, Abathar, you want to be with me? Now, why would in the world would Abathar do this? Well, what is happening is that Zadok is now officially the new high priest. And the lineage have switched. Now, if you want to go back and trace the roots, part of this is because of Eli. That God said, guess what, Eli? Because of you, I'm cutting off your line in just a little bit. And I'm going to trace it through another son of Aaron. And so this is another prophecy that's been a long time coming. And David is already switching the high priesthood to Zadok. And so Abathar realizes he's losing out. I'm no longer high priest. Adonijah promises me that I'm still going to be high priest. So Joab says, I get to still be general? Let's do that. Abathar says, I get to be high priest? I'll support you. And so again, Adonijah is grabbing these heavy hitters. These are big names, big people, people that uh, others respected all throughout the nation. And notice this in verse number uh, 7. And they conferred with Joab, the son of Zerurah, and with Abathar, the priest. And they, following Adonijah, helped him. But Zadok the priest. So notice these people that were not invited to the party. Zadok the priest was not invited. Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. Now this is the first time we are introduced to him. But this is the new general who's going to be in charge. Joab is old by now. He's 70 years old but he still thinks he can go fight the wars. Benaniah is the new general that's being groomed. And he happens to be very loyal to Solomon. So let's not invite the new general. Let's not talk to him. Let's not talk to Zadok, the, the current high priest. Let's not talk to him. Let's not invite them. And notice who they didn't invite. Nathan the prophet. The man who stuck his finger in David's face. You can imagine how much bravery and boldness that took to go to, the, to David and said, you messed up and God's not happy with you. This man full of boldness. This man who's still preaching. And you'll see him in this story here. But nope, he wasn't invited. We don't want to go and invite him. And then it names these other people. And then David's mighty men. These men who had fought wars with David. They were not invited. As we see who else isn't invited. Verse number 10. We also see Solomon is not invited. And so Adonijah said... What we're going to do is we're going to gather everybody together, but we're not going to invite anyone who's going to cause us problems. We're not going to invite Solomon who's going to raise his hand and say, uh, um, David said I was going to be king. God said I was going to be king. Now, let's not, he's going to raise waves. Let's not get Zadok in here because we're going to replace him. Let's not get a Ben and I in here because he's going to get replaced. We, let's not invite anybody who's going to cause us problems. And so he comes up with this plan and he begins to, to prepare for him to be king. <clears throat> Notice if you don't mind. In verse number 9. Where they go. And Adonijah slew sheep. And oxen and fat cattle. By the stone of Zelareth. Which is by Enrogel. Now when you look at these names. You go okay I don't have any clue where they are. So it doesn't matter to me. But this is actually a big deal. 
In the back of your Bibles, most of you have maps of Jerusalem, so you can look this up later. But you would have the city of Jerusalem, and in the very southernmost part of Jerusalem, you have a valley, which is called the Valley of Hinnom. Then over here, you have the Enrogel. So at the very tip of, of the Valley of Hinnom is the Enrogel. And why is this a big deal? Because the Valley of Hinnom is a trash heap. This is where everyone throws their trash. And so Adonijah, in order to celebrate him being king, but he doesn't want to raise too many waves, he invites all the important people. He invites the officials. He invites all of his brethren except for Solomon. And they all go together over the trash heap. They go to the other side of the tracks. And they go to a private building. And they have a private ceremony where he's anointed king. Where no one knows about it until after it's done. And we could already see here, this is not done in the open. This is done in secret. This is done in a guile way. This is done in a way that he could slyly anoint himself king. Anoint himself the winner of the presidency. Anoint himself the winner of the election. All those fun stuff. And now he's there and no one could do anything about it. That's the plan. But... God wants to get involved, and so he pulls in the preacher. And so we start off by meeting Abishag. She is going to be important later. We come to Adonijah's coronation, where he's gathered the heavy hitters. He's gathered the people who supports him. They go to the other side of the tracks. They go beyond the trash heap and have a private ceremony. But then we can see Nathan's objections. Nathan's objections. So Nathan goes up to Bathsheba and said, hey, there's a problem. I'm just letting you know that right now Adonijah is trying to be anointed king. And we know that God had promised Solomon he was going to be king. We know that David confirmed that promise. And we need to let David know. Now, we need to come up with a plan so that way David knows that we're just not making it up to get Adonijah in trouble. So Bathsheba, I want you to go in there first. And I want you to ask David, David... Did you promise Solomon to be king? And if so, why is Adonijah being king right now? Then as soon as you're done, I, Nathan the prophet, will come in behind you and I will confirm everything that is said. And so that's exactly what happened. So you could imagine David still cold, wants the room to be 90 degrees. Abishag's taking care of him. Maybe she's giving him a sip of water. Bathsheba comes in and knocks and David says, come in and says, what is this about Adonijah? Did you hear about this? And she talks to him and does everything that, that Nathan the prophet says. Then as soon as Bathsheba's done, Nathan knocks on the door. They announce Nathan the prophet. The preacher comes up and says, David, did you not say that Solomon was to be in charge? Then why is Adonijah there? And what David did was immediately take care of business. And that was something David was always good for. He never hemmed and hawed and never said, let me think about this. He said, let's get it done. And so he says, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to grab everyone else. I want you to grab Zadok the priest. I want you to go grab Benaniah. I want you to grab Solomon. And I want you to go in the middle of town in front of everyone, and publicly and properly anoint Solomon king. And I want you to bring him out on my mule. And if you were to bring it up today, I want you to bring my car, my airplane. I want everyone to know that he has my endorsement and publicly anoint Solomon to be king. And so they do. They bring him in. Benaniah, by the way, says, good choice. 
And we're going to pray that God uses Solomon even more than you. And David says, good, that's what I want. And so they go and they have this ceremony. And everyone in Jerusalem's happy. I mean, they know that David's sick. They know that it's only a matter of time. But everyone's rejoicing. Yay, it's Solomon. He's anointed. They have a public ceremony. The whole town is cheering. People get trumpets. There's fireworks everywhere. The whole town's excited. And that is where Adonijah starts hearing something. They finish up their meal. And as they're putting things up and clearing up the plates, all of a sudden they listen out. Now remember, they're across. They're outside of the city beyond the trash heap in a private building, and they start listening and hearing the trumpets. And Joab says, what's that noise? What's going on? And they start guessing. And it's just at that time that <clears throat> Abathar, the high priest, his son Jonathan comes in. Did you hear what happened? They anointed Solomon. Oh, this is great. Everyone's celebrating. You know, it's kind of funny they didn't even invite Jonathan to the party. He didn't know Adonijah was being anointed. He knocks on the door and says, Hey guys, great news! Solomon's king! Well, that's not great news to everyone in the party. To me, one of the hilarious statements that occur here, notice with me in verse number 49. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and every man went his way. Once they hear that Solomon's king and they were in the wrong party, everyone started to be excused and slip out the back door and let's go. And they all kind of just scampered away. Oops, wrong party. <laughs> well, Adonijah heard about this and he knows he's in big trouble. He just tried to bypass the king. He tried to bypass God's will. He just kind of stuck it to his brother. He knows he's in trouble. And so he becomes the very first person, if I remember my Bible history correctly, to go up to the tabernacle. Now the temple's not built yet, but they're preparing for it. And so they go to the tabernacle, and outside they have the brazen altar. And upon the brazen altar, they have little golden horns as decorative pieces on each corner. And he goes to the tabernacle. So if you could imagine God's house, it'd be just like if somebody was afraid that some church member was going to kill them because of an out thing. And they go down to an altar and they grab a hold of the table. No, no, you're not going to kill me here, please. And he's like, please, I'm praying to God. I'm praying to who? Some, please don't let him kill me. And so they get news to Solomon because now Solomon's in charge. And they said, hey, your brother's crying over at the altar and he thinks you're going to kill him. And so Solomon gives this decree. Let's pick it up in verse number 51. Uh, verse 50. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon. For lo, he hath caught the hold on the horns of the altar saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not slay his servant with a sword. Now notice King Solomon giving this reply. And Solomon said... If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not be a hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go to thy house. 
Now isn't this a fair statement? Solomon just says, hey, you just be good. You find yourself a worthy man. We'll have no problems. I'll let this go. I mean, that's pretty kind to Solomon. We're just going to say this didn't happen. No big deal. But if there's wickedness found in you, you're going to die. That's fair. If they find themselves a worthy man. So now the burden is not on Solomon. It is all on Adonijah. Can he manage to behave himself? Can he be a good brother? Can he be a good servant? Can he honor the king? That's the question. If you find him, show himself to be a worthy man. With this, may I show you a New Testament principle? And then we're going to come and see what happens in chapter 2. Maybe you want to hold your finger here. But turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And if we're going to talk about this idea of being a worthy man, of having a good life, of being a good person, of having good days, well, we need to find our terms. What do we mean by this? How is it that we can have good days? How is it that we can have a life that's worth living that's not wicked? Does the Bible describe it? Is there a clear way? Well, the Bible does declare it. Look, notice with me in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter in chapter number 3. 1 Peter in chapter number 3, and notice with me in verse number 10. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, For he that will love life and see good days. All right? So here it's telling you that if you want to love life, if you want to come to the place where you enjoy life, do you know that there's lots of people who don't enjoy life? They're miserable. Miserable people. They don't enjoy life at all. But the Bible says, hey, if you want to enjoy life, if you want to have good days, if you want to see good days, here's a quick Bible principle to follow. First of all, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. If you want to put this in simple terms, keep your mouth shut. You know, most of the problems we have in our life are self-inflicted. Because we opened up our mouth. We said something we weren't supposed to. We had an attitude we weren't supposed to. Shut your mouth. If you want to have good days, if you want to enjoy life, then watch your tongue. Refrain your tongue from evil. Make sure that it says good things. But notice this next phrase as it says, that his lips, that they speak no guile. The word guile comes is part of the lying family. In the true sense of the word, the word guile carries the idea of telling the truth, telling a story in a way that makes you look better or someone else look worse. So you tell the story, but you leave out a detail or you place an emphasis on something and you're telling it in such a way that makes you look better or someone else look worse. And so it's technically telling the truth, but according to God, it is not. To refrain your tongue from guile. That you're honest in all things. Now most of us have been in trouble. Uh, I'm assuming most of you have been in trouble. Maybe it was with your parents. Maybe it was the principal. Maybe it was a boss. And you remember that before you went to go talk to your boss. Or your parents. Or your wife. Or the principal. That you, you plan out the story. You work on it. You, you work on how you're going to say it. You practice the wording and you think about if I say it this way or if I kind of emphasize this or if I kind of keep pointing to that person there, 
that I'll look better and they'll look worse. And I'll convince them, I'm still telling the truth, but I'm trying to twist it so that way I don't look as bad. And maybe I'm the only non-spiritual person, but I know I've done that. And I'm assuming that some of you have done that from time to time too. That you're planning what you're saying. You think about what you're going to say. And again, you're trying to say it in such a way that you look better or someone else looks worse. Well, that's what the Bible here is saying to refrain from. For he that will love life and see good days, let his refrain his tongue from evil and let his lips that they speak no guile. This means that you get to the place where you're honest in all things. That if you messed up, say I messed up. If you did wrong, just admit that you did wrong. Don't try to fancy, sugar cut it, coat it. Don't point the blame at someone else. Don't deflect, don't refract. Don't try to point to someone else. Just say, I messed up, I'm sorry, what can I do to get it fixed? And so the Bible said, if you want to have good days, if you want to love life, if you want to enjoy the life that you have, as we use the term here, if you want to find yourself worthy, first of all, watch the tongue. Guard that tongue because it's going to get you in trouble. That it's honest in all it's saying. That you're willing to use it in such a way that it's not hurting other people. That you're using it in such a way that you're honest in all things. Notice as it goes on in verse 11. Let him askew evil and do good. So this idea of askew was actually a math term. It carries the idea of two lines. And if one line is going a different direction than the main line, that's going askew. It's going away. And so notice again, let him askew evil. So it carries the idea, there's evil, I'm going that away. You know, we could keep ourselves from a lot of trouble if we just stay away from evil in the first place. Most of us recognize I should not go there. I should not watch that. I should not hang out with them. I should not whatever else. And then we do it anyways. And then we wonder why we get in trouble. If there's a certain place where you have a hard time resisting temptation, just don't go there. You know, sometimes it's just simple things. Someone says, I keep going to the bar and then I'm tempted to drink. Well, the problem is, is not to avoid temptation, just avoid the place. It says askew evil. You see evil, go the different direction. If there's a person that every time you're near them, you get in trouble, that that guy's a lightning rod, and if you're with him, you're going to get blamed, don't go with that person. Go somewhere else. Askew evil. Go. This is just a simple thing. Guard your tongue. When you see evil, go a different direction. Simple. Notice it goes to verse 11. Let him askew evil and do good. Then notice this. Let him seek peace and ensue it. So again, if you want to love life, if you want to see good days, go after peace. So often we go to war. We can't wait to go yell at someone for offending us, making us mad. We just can't. We're looking for reasons to be upset at someone. The Bible says, seek peace, meaning that you try to bring peace. The book of uh, 2 Corinthians actually says a fantastic thing, take the wrong. That means that if you're in an argument with someone and they're not going to be convinced, what's wrong with saying, okay, you're right, I'm wrong, just to stop the argument, just to bring peace. But it says not only just to seek peace, but notice this, 
and ensue it. The idea of ensue carries the idea chase, to pursue. It carries kind of the idea that you remember men when you saw that beautiful bride that you had and you went after her, you chased her, you like took a bath and like washed your clothes every now and again, you try to smell nice, you try to do whatever it took to try to impress her. You know, everyone puts on that salesman version and they try, they do different things. They like wash their car and try to make it look nice and normally there's McDonald's stuff all over the you, you try to impress her. You're chasing after her. You send her flowers. You send her love poems. You try to do different things for her. And you chase after her. Well, that's the idea here. To not only seek peace, but pursue it. Chase after it. Go for it. That you're not going to war over little tiny things. Let it go. So many people are trying just to correct every little wrong. Trying to fix every little thing. That they're not happy if someone misspeaks a certain way. You get some certain people who start learning uh, some theology and they don't have enough, um, um, <coughs> enough discernment within themselves that if, they, if someone says something wrong theologically, they got to slam them. You're wrong. You fix this. That's not a way to live your life. And you make it everyone else miserable around you. Seek after peace. Let people be wrong. What's wrong with letting them be wrong? If they're not going to listen, shrug your shoulders, give them to God. It's not your job to twist their arm and convince them anyways. We have a lot more peaceful life if we don't have to go fight all these other battles that we go put ourselves into. There's enough battles to fight. We don't have to go look for something and try to correct every little thing. You got those people on Facebook that go to every post and they have to make a comment on every post. They try to say what's wrong with this post and what's wrong with this post. And, uh, those are miserable people. The Bible says to seek peace and ensue it. So we're just simply just talking simple. If you want to love life, meaning you want to enjoy life, enjoy the life that you have. And you'll want to see good days, meaning that you look back and say, that was a good day. That was a good day. You don't want to go look in your days and go, that was miserable, that was miserable. If you have enough miserable days, your life is not worth living. You want to see good day after good day after good day. So what we're seeing here, going back to Adonijah, Solomon just said, if you're worthy. If you show yourself worthy, nothing will happen to you. And so let's imagine these three things. Guard your mouth. That should be easy for Adonijah to do. Just shut your mouth. Be quiet. He says, askew evil. If you see evil, go a different direction. And then seek after peace. Chase after it. So let's look and see if Adonijah could do these three simple things. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 2. And let's see the continuation of this story. The book of 2 Kings in chapter number 2. Notice, if you don't mind, starting at verse 13. Now, <laughs> I told you to remember someone very important at the very beginning. Notice with me in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 13. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba. So Adonijah came to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, the mother of Solomon. And she said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Now, <laughs> 
poor Bathsheba, she's kind of walking, minding her own business. Adonijah gets to her and says, hey, can I talk with you? She's like, uh, is everything all right? He's already tried to take the throne once. So is everything peaceably? And he said, peaceably. He said, moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, say on. And he said, thou knowest that the kingdom was mine. And all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now, is this picking a fight or is this seeking after peace? Hey, the kingdom was mine and your stinking rotten kid, my brother, is the one who has the kingdom now. Probably not the best way to go ahead and start this off. All right. Verse 16. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. And she said, say on. He said, speak, I pray, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee, nay, that he would give me Abishag the Shuamite to wife. Now he comes not to Solomon. He wants Solomon to grant him a request, but instead of going to Solomon himself, he is going to Bathsheba. And this is another classic example of something the Bible says, guile. He's trying to be sneaky about this. He's being honest about his petition. I want Abishag. And he knows that Solomon's the one that's able to grant it to him. But he goes through Bathsheba with the hope that that Bathsheba can convince Solomon. Now, what Adonijah is doing is he's trying to set himself up for the kingdom again. Abishag... Even though there was no (coughs) relationship between her and David, she had an association with David. And so if he could take Abishag to be his wife, he will be set more up (coughs) inside of the scheme of things and royal um, genealogies and whatnot. He'll have more claim to a throne in this way. And so he knows what he's doing. Now, whether Bathsheba caught it or not, Solomon did. Notice as it continues to go on in verse number 18. And Bathsheba said, well, I will speak for thee unto the king. And Bathsheba therefore went unto the king Solomon to speak for him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself to her. Notice this. It's it's a whole different sermon. But when he saw his mother, he being the king went down from the throne And he bowed himself to his mother. Even though he's the king, he still took time to show her honor. But that's a whole different message. But I wanted to put that to your attention. And sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. And she said, I desire one small petition of thee, I pray thee. Say me not nay. And the king said, ask on my mother, for I will not say thee nay. And she said, let Abishag the Shuamite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shuamite for Adonijah? Ask him for the kingdom also, for he is my elder brother, even for him, and for Abathar the priest and Joab the son of Zurah. So what happened here is that Solomon caught immediately. He says, If I give her Abishag, I'm also giving him the kingdom. He's already the elder brother. He has the support of Joab. He has the support of Uh, Abathar, you add with that David's wife and that lineage, he says, you might as well just give the kingdom to him 
because I'm going to lose this. And the idea of a legal viewpoint perspective idea. He says, and he's not happy about this at all. Let's pick this back up in verse number 23. Then King Solomon swear by the Lord saying, God do so to me. And even more also if Adonijah had not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore as the Lord liveth, which hath established me and set me on the throne of David my father, who hath made me a house, and as he promised, Adonijah should be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaniah, which is the new Joab, the son of Jehodiah, and he fell upon him that he died. And so this is going to set off a chain of events where Solomon is cleaning house. But what we see here is Adonijah did this to himself. He could have lived peaceably. He could have let things go. But he decided to try for the kingdom one more time. And he did not find himself worthy. He opened up his mouth. He used guile. Instead of going away from evil, he went right into it. Came up with a new conspiracy. And that he did not seek for peace. But he got in the middle of a war and was ready to go. He did not find himself worthy. And so Solomon being true to his word, if he not be found worthy... He's going to be put to death. And now we have the fourth child of David killed in response to the consequences that David had way back then. Again, Adonijah did it to himself, but it's still a carried down type thing that we see here. So what do we get from this? Well, we can see that we have a choice in our own lives. We understand that we live in a spiritual battle, but you don't have to go to war over every little thing. If we learn how to guard our mouths, turn away from evil, and if we learn to chase after peace, then the Bible says we'll learn to love life and see good days. And good days is what most of us want to see. Good days is what we want to have. And we don't want to get ourselves in trouble. We don't want to get to a place where we're miserable because of our own actions. Again, Adonijah could have had a peaceable life for the rest of his life and he could have got along with his brother. But instead, because of his own actions, he brought destruction upon him. And he didn't love life that much long after this. A miserable time he had. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.